Okay, so I'm just going to get my co-host in here real quick. As I said on social media, the podcast is going to be switching to a mainly uh, live-streamed platform here. We're going to be mainly live-streaming instead of just a regular podcast, but um, just waiting on my... Um, co-host here, so just bear with me. Just give me a second here. Uh, he should join at any minute. But, yeah, we'll be mainly live streaming from now on. So, yeah. Just bear with me. My co-host should join any second now. Any second. Any second. Elevated, yes. Yes. Good Lord, would my could my, could my co-host please hurry up? I'm waiting. Well, while we're waiting, might as well um, explain what this podcast is about, because uh, this may take a while. Ah, here is my co-host. So, are you, are you here? You gonna you gonna talk or what? Yep, you, you gonna say something? You there? Like, bruh. If you there, I can't hear you. Oh, there you are. Okay, so. <laughs> All right, now. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Elevated Ones. I'm one of your hosts, Weston Dallas, and tonight my co-host, Riley, and I will be talking about extraterrestrials. Now, Riley is way more educated in this field of supernatural events than I am, so Riley, take it away. Okay, so uh, the main topic that I want to focus on right now is the different types of reported extraterrestrial beings. Uh, at least that's what I'm going to focus on right now anyway. Um, so the most commonly reported type of extraterrestrial is to be the stereotypical short grays. Uh, usually they reportedly range from three and a half to four foot tall um, Usually very skinny, long slender fingers, big heads, uh, large solid black almond shaped eyes, and they mainly started, the first report of the greys was the uh, abduction, started with the abduction of Betty and Barney Hill. They described short grey skinned beings with large heads and eyes that experimented on them, and that's what really got the whole 
thing started. Um, another type that I would like to discuss is probably the second most commonly reported would be the no what's refer referred to as the Nordics. They're called the Nordics because they're tall, pale-skinned, blondes with blue eyes. Uh, wow. And uh, they. That sounds. That sounds like a. That sounds like one of the typical Americans. I mean. I mean. Uh, they first major report of the Nordics was George Adamski's contact in 1949. Uh, he reported that a silver disc-shaped craft landed in the desert while he was uh, observing the moon with a large telescope, and a large, tall, blonde, blue-eyed man stepped out and spoke with him about various things, said he was from... They say the said he, he specifically George Adamski said the beings he met come from Venus, Mars, and Neptune for some reason. Uh, even though Neptune is a gas giant. But I'll, I'll yes. move on to gas giants in the later part of this episode and speak about the possibilities of life on those planets. But moving on to the reptilians. The reptilians. Now these Hey, um, Riley has told me about these a few times, and I actually find these to be some of the most fascinating extraterrestrials. Uh, they are very fascinating, in my opinion. Uh, they are not that commonly reported, but most uh, witnesses who have seen these beings usually are lifelong contactees slash abductees. Um, now, I do not have... Right, right off the top of my head, I don't remember the names of the witnesses, but a uh, quick Google search uh, of sightings of reptilian aliens will take you to their cases. Uh, they're usually reported as being between 6 and 12 feet tall, uh, very large, muscular build, long tails, either green or white, scaly, large, stereotypical green lizard-like eyes, and... Now, most people... These are typically, like, really um, uncommon, aren't they? Uh, yeah, sightings of these beings are really uncommon. Uh, they're... Right. But when it happens, it's usually the person has contact or with these beings for life once it happens, according to most reports. Now, the, most witnesses that have seen these beings seem to be very credible. They seem to be mentally stable. Uh, no drinking or drug problems. They, I mean, they seem to be credible witnesses. Um, some of them are uh, even respected military or individuals and stuff like that. Um, but moving on, and also I should note that uh, most common, the most common place that these that witnesses say these extraterrestrials originate from is the uh, Alpha Draconis system which has the Draco constellation in it. But anyway, moving on to the next type of extraterrestrial, which, let's see here, what was the next one that I had written down for tonight? Bear with me here. <laughs> um, <laughs> just, just bear with me. Uh, um, anyway, the next type of extraterrestrials I want to discuss are... The taller greys. Instead, of, you know, 
they are less commonly reported than the stereotypical Hollywood-style short grays. But these beings the living craft. My bad. Whatever. Um, now these beings are, stere- are uh, usually reported as being uh, between six and seven and a half feet tall. Uh, very slender, uh, four long slender fingers, large heads, pale gray skin, um, large black almond-shaped eyes, just like the short ones except taller. Now, of course, most uh, witnesses, including uh, specifically Betty and Barney Hill, say that the short grays come from the uh, star system Zeta Reticuli which is a binary star system around 38-ish light years away from Earth, 38, 39 light years. Um, but the tall grays reportedly originate from the Orion system, and specifically the around the Orion's belt area, at least that's what's reported. Of course, we don't know much about that specific star system, so possible. I mean, nothing's impossible, so. And, do you have anything you'd like to add about the tall grays? Um, just that they are generally portrayed in lots of sci-fi movies. Yes, they are. Uh, you know, this is your thing. I, I, I'm very fascinated just by listening to you and how much uh, information you've got on these things. I've been researching ufology for a very long time and also have other sources that I'm not going to discuss in this episode, but we'll get into at a later date. Uh, other thing, uh, let's see, the next topic I would like to discuss would be specifically quote-unquote UFOs and some various things about quote-unquote UFOs. Now, I'm going to talk about the most commonly reported types of craft. Of course, the first one would be the stereotypical flying saucer. Yes, this is probably heard from people mostly, isn't it? Yes, it's the most commonly reported type of craft. It's usually reported as a large silver disc-shaped craft with some sort of uh, antenna-like device on the top. Uh, and they're, like, lit up with lights, aren't they? Uh, some say they have lights around the bottom or the sides. Some don't. It just varies from witness to witness. Uh, there is... Right. Uh, now, not, a lot of them, some people do not know that the term flying saucer actually originated with uh, Kenneth Arnold's sighting in 1947. Uh, he was a private pilot. He was flying around Ra- Mount Rainier when he spotted nine silver boomerang-shaped objects flying in formation. He said at a, he would estimate around 700 miles per hour. And when he landed and reported this to the local newspapers, it went viral, went all around the country and then the world. And he described it as they were flying like if he took a saucer and threw it. And that's how they were moving. So that's how it spawned the term flying saucer. And then, of course, a lot of the most famous flying saucer sightings occurred not long after that. But anyway, uh, the next type of craft would be the cigar-shaped craft. 
um, I think most famously witnessed by George Adamski, Daniel Fry, and I forget the name of the other witness right off the top of my head. <laughs> uh, they're reported <laughs> as, sorry about that. They are usually reported as ranging anywhere from half a mile to a, over a mile long, uh, silver, usually slanted on the ends, and some say, uh, especially uh, George Adamski says that they can release smaller crafts, like a, like a mothership, basically, can release smaller saucer-shaped crafts. But I'll cover George Adamski's uh, encounters more in more detail uh, later on in this episode. Uh, now, another really interesting uh, encounter that involved a, a cigar-shaped craft would happened right here in my home state of West Virginia. Um, it was a man was driving down the highway, uh, not just outside of Huntington, when he spotted a large silver cigar-shaped craft that he said descended to just a few feet above his vehicle. And this was sometime around, I think the report says around 10 to 10.30 at night. And he said eventually the craft darted out in front of him and landed on the highway. And a, uh, what just looked like a regular old man in a black suit, but with a big grin on his face, walked out and approached the vehicle to uh, talk to him. And it's a very interesting report. I'm not going to go into too much detail of that one as we'll cover it in a later episode. But it's a very interesting report, nonetheless. It's one of the most famous UFO incidents here in my home state. But anyway, moving on, the next most commonly reported, in my opinion, I would say would be the boomerang-shaped craft. Usually reported as being anywhere between uh, the size of a car to the size of a large house. <laughs> it just varies. Uh, of course, you could... There's a lot of really famous sightings of these craft. Uh, they're most commonly reported as being a boomerang-shaped, either a boomerang-shaped formation of lights, or a large, solid black craft with yellow or similarly colored lights under it. But, of course, there's also silver, smaller silver boomerang-shaped craft, like the ones seen by Kenneth Arnold, that are more commonly reported. Now, I don't know. Also, I'd like to quickly discuss the uh, commonly reported traits that UFOs have that most people, like, you can identify an actual unidentified flying object from an average, uh, any object you would see in the sky, like, uh, weather balloons, uh, satellites, planes, things like that. They say, always say that they can turn so sharply that it would create a large enough amount of G-force to kill any human being instantly. That is a very commonly reported trait, so they can turn ridiculously sharp, they can turn, and they can do it on a dime. They can go, also say they can go from being completely stationary, just hovering, to over 
faster than the speed of sound in an instant. Some say even around the speed of light, but of course that's probably exaggerated. Uh, wow. They also say that they can just stop instantly. Just stop, then go back to moving, and they can maneuver like nothing you've ever seen before. Of course, I've had my fair share of UFO sightings myself, and I can confirm that they, these craft, whatever they are, wherever they come from, can maneuver unlike any man-made aircraft I've ever seen. And I'm personally a huge military aviation geek, and I've never seen anything that can move like that. Never heard of it. It's very, it's very fascinating. No, uh, I don't know... In much if you, I don't know if you've had any UFO sightings yourself, but if you've seen one, you just, I have. just know. You, you just know. It's kind of hard to yeah, you do. someone who has never seen one. You, well, I think that I think that every person at one point in their life have seen this kind of experience. Know. Yeah, but I think that some look over it and some really notice it. Absolutely. Some notice it more than others. And also, some people say that the craft can just disappear into thin air. That's uh, not that commonly reported, but it does happen. And also, some say some have seen craft that shoot down beams of light and stuff like that. That's probably one of the rarer things. But uh, it uh, specifically happened in a uh, mass uh, sighting in I forget which town it was specifically, but it was a town in Texas where uh, I think it was a total of four or five, I think it was around 400 people total saw the same large disc-shaped craft with multicolored lights on the underside that shot down a giant beam of light from the underside of it like it was looking for something and then just flew off. Yeah, now these kind of represent like a searchlight, don't they? Uh, yeah, like they say it looks, yeah, they say it's like a, like a giant like spotlight. Shining down. Yeah. Uh, my only assumption would be that they are scanning or looking for something. Like, like, like my only assumption would be that it is a, a some kind of searchlight or spotlight. Whoever is piloting these craft, because in my opinion, so many people, like especially these mass sightings, so many people see the exact same things and even catch it on camera. And they they're not crazy. Like it has to be something. Like I'm not saying it's aliens, but. Like, definitively, but it's something. These craft exist. They are, right. There's too many credible witnesses out there to just completely dismiss this as misidentification. <laughs> but, anyway, a uh, small rant there, never mind me. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, moving on to a very interesting uh, report. It's one of my personal favorite uh, UFO incidents. It's uh, one of the things that really got me back into ufology after I had quit studying it for a while. Uh, it would be Bob Lazar's case. Um, I don't know some of you may have heard of this uh, case. It's very famous. But Bob Lazar uh, uh, said that uh, he, he's a man from, I think, California. Uh, he's always been, he's a really very intelligent man. Uh, he is a young boy. He would attach jet and rocket engines to basically anything he could. He ended up making a jet-powered car uh, in the early 80s, and he got rather famous for that locally. But uh, eventually he got a letter from the government, allegedly, 
that uh, they wanted him to work on an advanced propulsion system. And that's all they would tell him. So, of course, naturally, he accepted it. And as he said, they picked him up in an unmarked white jet with a red stripe down the middle, flew him out to a remote air base in Nevada, which we now know to be Groom Lake, and transported him in a white van out 15 miles to the south of the inst- of the actual Groom Lake installation to an area he called S-4. He said that's where they opened a hangar, and there was a large, I think he described it as being around 50 feet in diameter, silver disc. Just, just silver disc. <laughs> with an American flag stuck on the side, and he initially thought it was just some sort of advanced fighter aircraft that the government had designed, but he later would find out through a briefing he was given that they said it came from the star system's Zeta Reticuli. And that they were given, that it was given to them, or they retrieved it in some way. And he talked about how it was powered by some sort of super, super advanced antimatter reactor uh, that used uh, Moscovium to power it. Uh, but it was a stable version of Moscovium, unlike anything found on Earth. Um, That's amazing. And then he talked about how he. When you witnessed the first daylight test flight of it, it would just lift up off the ground, and until it was about 10 foot off the ground, there was a blue glow under it, and you could hear crackling of static electricity, almost. And then when it get about to a little over 10 feet off the ground, that would just disappear, and it would be completely silent. You couldn't hear a thing. And then it would just move from, it moved from side to side and then landed. It had no landing gear or anything like that. It just land. And then he said he snunk his friends out in a camper to the about, uh, I think he said ten, five or ten miles out from, away from the installation. Uh, and they would camp out there and wait till there was a test flight because he had a schedule for when the test flights were going to be. And then they would sneak out to about two miles, two or three miles away from the installation with binoculars. They would watch the test flights. They even filmed one of them. And the footage has been analyzed, and Spruin was not altered in any way, uh, according to the analysts. It looks realistic to me. He said at night it would glow, and he explained how that worked, but it's a very interesting process. Uh, He explained how basically everything on it worked, but he said they were still working on it, and they didn't know how to replicate it or anything. That's what they were trying to do. They were trying to reverse engineer it. But he said it was so advanced that they didn't really understand anything on it. And he said the, in, when he, the one time he got to enter the craft that the inside of it looked like it would it had been, like, like it, the metal had been poured into a mold. There was no seams or anything. Like, every, everything was made out of, the, like, made in a mold. Like, just not, like... It was like, it was, like, solid. There were no creases yeah, or no, anything. No, no, like, no welded. It wasn't welded together or anything. Like, they just poured all the metal into a mold and made it. So that's what it looked like. He said the hatch to enter wow. it was unlike anything he'd ever seen. And if you didn't know where it was, you wouldn't be able to see it from the inside or the outside. They talked about how it could disappear and how it was propelled, how it would produce its own gravity field around it and have gravity wave generators and all this stuff. I don't know. He has a website, uh, an Instagram page. Uh, he was interviewed by Joe Rogan on his podcast. Um, he, uh, there's a documentary about him on Netflix. If you want to know more about him, you can just look him up. 
Uh, he even described one time he witnessed the extraterrestrial beings, or what he would describe as an extraterrestrial being, anyway, at the facility. But, he, I don't know, if you want to know more about him, just look him up. I can talk about these cases like these all night, because they're really credible. There's a lot of things that back up their case. But I personally think that he's a very credible witness, like he doesn't have a reason to make it up. But uh, anything you'd like to say about that case? No, nah, I think you've covered it all. Okay, so what was the third topic we were going to cover tonight? Or the fourth? My bad. What was the fourth topic we were going to cover? Uh, I'm, not, I'm not really sure. I was just going with the flow in hopes that you would come up with something. I thought you were going to cover the fourth topic, but... I guess we miscommunicated somewhere. I don't know. Let's, uh, we'll come up with something. <laughs> we will come up with something. Have, um, basically, comment. Tell us if you've had any, um, experiences of your own. Tell us about yes, it. Yes, absolutely. Tell us. Um, if you, if you, if you have any, um, if you have any pictures, any sightings, uh, send those right to Riley. Yes, uh, let me know if you've had any kind of, not even just specifically a UFO experience, but if you've seen a UFO or think you have, or any, especially if you see, think you've seen an extraterrestrial being, but any kind of paranormal experience you've had, doesn't matter how minor it is, if you want to tell somebody, you can just tell me. I want to know about your experiences. Had my Absolutely. I, I would love to know myself. Um, I, I, growing up, and and all have have always had these experiences and, and I could not tell I could not really tell anybody because You're oh they're gonna think I'm crazy absolutely yes well Riley and I became friends back in 2016 near the 20 near the end of 2015 and when we became friends I knew that I could tell her anything absolutely and Ever since then, we've just been studying together. As soon as you started talking yeah, about your experiences, I felt like I could tell you, like I could actually open up about my experiences to you. Uh, yeah. You, you, you believe in me, and like you were the, one of the first people that I've met. Like every time I would try to bring up something paranormal to someone, they'd just think I was crazy or dismiss it as a made-up story, especially because I was... Yeah. Obviously younger back then, and I just, just always dismissed my stories as uh, an active imagination. But I, you know, as you know, I have no reason to make this stuff up. Right. Not out here looking. I'm not looking for fame. I'm not looking for nothing. I don't care if anybody believes me. I just want to talk about my experience. Just... I want to talk about that kind of stuff. You know, like I've I've had a passion for paranormal investigation since I was around four years old. Like, since I was, actually, no, before that, since I was around three years old. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, by, even back then, I would read, was reading books about paranormal stuff for the, get that out from the library. Like, I just wanted, like, I'm just out here to educate people on the topics of paranormal. And, 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 and as well as to make, to make people feel like they're not the only ones, that they're not crazy. If you've witnessed something, I do want you to know that you are not the only one. You are not crazy. This stuff. You saw, you heard what you heard, you felt what you felt, whatever. This stuff out here, this is real. Yes, it's real. It's very real.
there are paranormal occurrences happening all around the world, and thousands of, I would say, maybe millions of credible witnesses every year see these things, and not very many come forward with their stories for because obviously they're too afraid of being called crazy or things. Also, if if any of you have any experiences with paranormal, anything supernatural, cryptid, whatever, if you would like to come on the show as a guest one day, we would gladly love to hear your story. Absolutely. If you would uh, like to actually, if you'd like to talk about any experience you've had, anything you've seen, or uh, just talk about, have a specific paranormal topic you'd like to discuss, shoot me an email, shoot me a DM. Uh, you can gladly come on the show as a guest anytime. Absolutely. Um, Riley, I think this does us for today. Do you have anything else to talk about? Um, there is one thing I would like to state uh, before we end off on tonight's episode. Um, this is a, I would like to state that this is not the only time we'll be mentioning extraterrestrial related topics this uh, just no there will also there will be other segments on extraterrestrials absolutely there will be more segments on extraterrestrial related topics this is just i wanted to get an episode out dedicated to extraterrestrials uh just get, i'm going to get that out of the way get i want to educate people on topics like this because ufology is another thing that well, it was one of being, it's been one of the main areas of paranormal study for me. I've studied it for a very long time. Studied it as in-depth as I can. And there's also, uh, I don't know, I'm not going to get into that tonight, but I'll get into something uh, we'll be mentioning in a later segment that is related to that topic. But why did I even bring it up if I'm not going to mention it? I don't know. I'm weird. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh Moving on. Well, um, is that everything? Uh, that is everything I have for tonight. All right, everybody. Please stay tuned and please click the subscribe, favorite, whatever button. And just stay tuned. And next week we'll have a new video for you all about cryptids. Yes. Next week's episode um, this- we'll cover, or, well, whenever we decide, well, whenever, uh, we're going to shoot for next week. Next week's episode, we'll be covering cryptids of various kinds. Stay tuned. This is Weston Dallas. And this is Riley Stoniker. Stay elevated.